Hello. This is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. With me, Michael Q. And me, Roger Bell-West. And in this month's um, miscellany, we have what? Well, you have, what should you do at the beginning of a campaign? How should you negotiate with your players? And what should you negotiate about? Hmm. We have a reflection on how long I've been doing this damn stuff. But it's still fun. Yeah, I wonder why. And then we will shave some yaks. Yeah, yeah, we need to get the vacuum out before we do the yak shaving. But before any of that, um, just one word uh, in answer to a query from a listener. It's nice to know that people respond, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, I've been asked if I could point towards um, what you could do if you're trying to start out with Tecumel, uh the world of the Empire of the Petal Throne, uh, Professor Barker's great creation, which I do tend to go on a bit about. And as it happens, there is good news uh, this uh, this month, which is that the Tecumel Sourcebook, Volume 1, which was the great one-source volume of information about the background for the world has been reprinted. It hasn't been revised, it has been um, scanned, given a, an index, and uh, put, put together. It's now available on drive-through uh, RPG for a reasonable sum, and you can even get a print-on-demand version of it. So that is the obvious thing to do. If you want the deep background, if you want an objective view of what the world is like. And that's a source book, not a system. It's a source book, not, not a system. It, it goes into a great deal of de detail, which probably won't get used, but is very interesting and builds up the feel of the world. That said, I would recommend a starting GM to get one of the game systems that are available for it and have a look at one of those. The nicest produced thing, if you can get hold of it, is the Tristat Tecumel World of the Empire of the Petal Throne, which um, has, has maps, has illustrations, and has a fair amount of detail. Not a terrible system. It's not a, ter it's not a terrible system. It's not a, what I would use, but it's not a terrible system. Bethorm, latest game system for Tecumel, is a very retro-feeling game. And uh, it, but it does have a lot of illustrations, a lot of background ground details, and a good feel for the way um, Professor Barker used to um, run his games in a very pulpish mode. And for that matter, you can still get hold of copies in PDF, um, and occasionally, if you're feeling generous on eBay, physical copies of the original Empire of the Petal Throne game. Yeah, it, it does occur to me... Back in the early to mid-80s when I was hearing about this, yeah. it had a reputation as being a much more serious and grown-up game than the Dungeon Bash of D&D at the time. And I'm sure that's there, but it does seem, as we've been talking to people who, who've played it more, that there's an awful lot of, let's go let's go and get lost and see, see what we come up against to kill as well. And that's, there, 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 there is an awful lot, lot of... He's built into the background... Uh, the un the underworlds, which are based on um, an Aztec idea that you have to destroy your cities every so often and then build on top of them, <laughs> which tends to cause accumulation of underground passages like nobody's business, if you keep it up seriously. Uh, so that's there. And there are the great um, necropolises outside the cities, which also lead to the underground. And it's all very complicated and and very exploitable. And it does have a pulpy, pulpy feel to it. But there's a good reason for that passage, that subterranean thing full of monsters. And there are, there, there are, there are echoes in the history and it all, and it all works out beautifully. Those, those three, uh, game systems and that one book should be enough to whet your appetite if you've got the sort of appetite that will be whetted by Tecumel. Alright? Right. Passing on.
Just yesterday, um, as we record this, uh, about a week before Halloween, I ran the first session of a new game system with my um, Monday night group. And uh, it involved a certain amount of negotiation, which is a new feature, newish feature, last 10 years in the hobby, I think. It is the process of agreeing at the first session and before you start out on certain parameters. Now, this was uh, Knight's Black Agents, which I shall henceforward refer to as NBA, because I don't want to have to go outside, spit, curse, and come back into the room every time I mention a game system that's based on a quote from the Scottish play. All right. right. Um, and so there were various fiddly bits built into the into the system and into the book, which you have to decide whether you're going to go with it. And I expected this to take some considerable time, but it didn't because basically we went for let's go for the simplest uh, the simplest possible version, uh, which um, involves the least number of game mechanical tweaks. It's going to be hard enough to get a new game into into our brains. And particularly, it, it is a bit different from from the standard um, procedural games that I think we're both fairly used yeah. to. Yeah, uh, it has it has a uh, it has a different set of mechanics and a different set of ideals. And a, a slightly different style, some of which uh, some of my players are getting hold of that style style already, and some of them aren't, and I'm not sure I am yet. But what I wanted to uh, to touch on, sparked by this, was the issue of what you need to negotiate and what you ought to negotiate and what you can't negotiate at the start of a campaign. I've done a fair amount of negotiating before the first um, session began by email in one of the games I'm in the game I'm currently running for my Wednesday night group I set out what I'd like to do and I asked the players questions about things they'd like to be baked into the into the into the background and we sort of went from there but even with that I'm getting a occasional kickback of you said you do this but you didn't do that so I'm wondering what it is you need to make explicit and whether making things explicit is always a good idea. Hmm. Often, I think. We've talked before about the Bait and Switch campaign where you say this is a campaign about X and it turns out to be, be about, about Y. y. Yeah. Um, and it, to my mind, the surprise of that, while interesting, is not worth the ill feeling that it generates. Yeah, there are... <sighs> I mean, the fa most famous base and switch in the history of the game of gaming of role playing gaming, I think, is the revelation in the first campaign of Metamorphosis Alpha. No, you're actually on a starship. Spoiler there. I should have put that spoiler <laughs> flash. Um, I in running NBA, I specifically told them, "You don't know this yet, but there are vampires in the world." Mm -hmm. In the in the course of the first mission, they will discover some of the truth about about vampires. But I specifically told them this, uh, you can't hand out uh, the rule book and say, here, read this, without them suspecting from the fact that there is a big bloody thing and it says spies with vampires on, on the cover. And I don't feel bad about that and I've got players who are good enough. Yeah, but, and certainly if they thought they were going into a conventional um, COVID agents campaign and then you said, oh, surprise, this is about vampires... Yeah, that would I think, even if they were happy to play a vampire game in principle, that that would be an unpleasant thing to spring on. One of my players, being perverse, said, "Oh, vampire! We've done that before. I I didn't kick him." <laughs> okay, so um, what should you make clear at the start? What do players need to to be happy? Will they ever be happy? Will they ever tell you if they're not? Well, yours do. Clearly. Yeah. Um, I have trouble with, with the people I tend to play with in that sometimes they, they're getting progressively more unhappy about things and don't actually tell me yeah. until they really hacked off about it. Yeah. Which is fair enough. And Generally I need, British, I, need, I need a bit of time to uh, adjust things if I am going to make changes. Mm. But the thing and we, we I think we've mentioned the idea of the campaign prospectus before. Yeah. Um, certainly Multiple some, times, right? some, something that I tend to do. But I think I regard an opening adventure, or not so much first session, but mm -hmm. the initial narrative chunk, 
of a campaign as a bit like a pilot or a demo reel for a TV show. Yeah. Not so much a TV show now where they tend to be, okay, we, we, we like this idea, we'll give you a 10-episode order. Mm. But as, you know, even 10 years ago or longer, when they would get some money together, make the pilot, yeah, uh, see if anybody wanted to buy it and commit to a full series, but there might quite possibly be changes between the pilot and the full series. Oh, that's so, tricky. Yeah, so, I, I so there are different saying, things. Yeah, go on. And f- first of all, and the players have already, in theory, bought into the campaign because they've seen the prospectus and they've chosen yeah. that campaign. But what I, what I like to do in the, in the first adventure is say, okay, here are the sorts of things the campaign is going to be about. You know, here, here is a complete story, first of all. You know, it, it comes to a conclusion. It, it opens up possibilities for the future. Um, but here are in miniature... Not maybe not all, but at least quite a lot of the different themes that are going to be here. Mm-hmm. So you know, here, here is how we're going to talk about interpersonal stuff and how important that's going to be. Here is how deadly combat is going to be, and indeed how frequent it's going to be. Mm. That sort of thing. Um, and you, you don't have to worry about effects budgets, but um, it, it's. I think it's nice to touch on that and and then try to get player feedback of yeah, I, I want more of this and I want less of that. Okay. I, you st- you talked about not necessarily the first session. I've always tended to say uh, to keep to a minimum the amount of sitting around just talking about it when we're not, when we're not actually get actually gaming. I want the first. Oh, yesterday I turned up prepared for them to um, to say oh, we want to design our own characters, and I think one player actually did, had actually read the rules enough to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd also pre-prepared on the assumption that they were going to be lazy. Um, five uh, five characters which covered all the skills, yep. at least had one point in all the investigative skills that you, that you need for a mm-hmm. gumshoe-based game. And I wanted them to at least start exploring the world before at, at that, for, at that for, first session. A purely I know there are people who will spend a whole evening generating characters and putting things together and and discussing things, but I've never felt that was a good sell of people's time. Yeah, what uh, my main group tends to do, uh, particularly since we're using GURPS anyway, uh, is usually we will say, okay, here are the character generation parameters by email, um, then throw characters at the GM and the GM... That yeah. says yes or no, or let's tweak this or whatever. But when when we have the first session of the campaign, it is the first session of play straight mm-hmm. away. Do I, as a GM, do you miss the the ability to throw anything at your players? As you know, NBA has, as you probably know, Roger. <laughs> uh, I must make assumptions. I haven't read it. All right, as a series of modes, any or all which which could be be used. There's, for example, dust mode, which is designed to be even more bleak than the the, than the, the base setting is. You, yes, you are, uh, you are you are spies. Yes, you are uh, uh, facing. You are unemployed by your previous national state, and yes, you are facing vampires. But you're also puny, and you are not going to live as long as the as the as the main set of assumptions goes. So. All the cinematic rules get cut out if you go with dust. Yeah. I ruled out dust, and one of my players ruled out the mirror option, in which you're not quite sure even of your own uh, fellow players, uh, who is loyal and who isn't, and (laughs) whether you're going to stick together as a group. It rules out a whole raft of things I could do to them, Mm. But, on the other hand, it, it means I've got one player who isn't going to be enormously peeved with me. Mm, I've never felt that as, as a restriction with campaign options. I, I felt it sometimes with details of campaign settings. Example? Um, okay, in transhuman space, mm. you have spaceships flying all over the solar system. Mm-hmm. But, to a first approximation, you cannot do this without a lot of people knowing. Because yeah. a spaceship has, it's, it's a realistic system. A spaceship has a great big exhaust plume. You can track it with telescopes. Yeah. Um, so an awful lot of plots one might borrow from other places involving this person has got to there without anybody knowing. 
don't work. Don't work in that model. Though, I mean, you, you can do things instead with they had their digital intelligence beamed there without anybody knowing. Yeah. But you, you, it still needs a bit more tweaking. My found, yeah. There is a problem when you inherit um, written systems. Um, there's a there's a problem with assumptions that the players make about uh, both written systems. It, I have noticed that people read the same texts as I do, and sometimes we do not get the same thing in our brain. Now, my natural default assumption is that I am right, mm -hmm. and that I yes, have the gym. Yeah, but I, I don't want to have to pull that too often. <laughs> I suspect there's a point at which, yes, I'm the GM, wears out. I've never got to it yet, hmm. that I've noticed. But um, there is there is a point when where when being pulling on the GM's authority where wears out. But I, I do tend to assume that I've got it, I've read it right and they've read it wrong. But well, in, in it's a problem when it turns up late and deep into the campaign. But I've been assuming yeah. X all along. Why why are you doing this to me now? Yeah, well, joking aside, you are the person running the campaign. You're you're doing it based mm -hmm. on this material, but the moment you start talking, it's not the source material; it's your interpretation of the source material. Yeah. Um, the the trick, I think, is I, I I agree. A bit of discussion can help here, um, because you may well not have noticed that this was a potentially contentious point. You just read it and said, "Oh, well, obviously that." Yeah. Um, unless you can get the player to talk about this. Hmm. Uh, I th I think, hmm. and in, in in the World War Two game, I I meet the um, players of that, or most of the players of that, yeah. in other contexts, and when when they are chatting about it, because it's interesting enough to chat about, hmm. I often pick up things that ah right, you're assuming that. Well, that's fair enough. It's compatible with what I was going to do. <laughs> I find I find the half hour or so of sitting between the me arriving and me and the first. First players to arrive arriving, and the last player uh, arriving mm. are actually very valuable for uh, figuring out what's going on and how people are feeling. I do have to keep on saying, "Look, I've not started the recording yet. This isn't official game time. I'm not taking." No, you don't tell me that. You're you're just wasting good material. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> save it for the save it for the game. But on the other hand, the sort of speculation around and about about things. Is also very useful about what people, the impression that people are going on. If somebody comes through the door just bursting with something they have to say, then it's sometimes very useful and it's not on the record. <laughs> yeah, are there, are, uh, yeah. There's another thing that I, I want to bring in from, from the old TV pilot style, which is, oh. again, it doesn't happen as much now, but quite often you would find that the cast changed between the pilot and the main show mm. because the actor wasn't, wasn't available, available for yeah. commitment or whatever. Um, but I'd like to do that for players as well, because um, no matter how much information you give out, and we've talked a bit previously about the problem of getting players to take in that information anyway, they yeah. may find up they may find out they've just got the wrong character for that particular game. Yeah. Or yeah, I, either they want to do some minor tweaks, or they just say, right, well, we've already got two fighters in this group. I don't need to be a third one. I'll do something else instead. Mm. Um, and being able to say, okay, there is a little bit of discontinuity between this first adventure and the rest. It's a way of saying, okay, yeah, you can bring in a new character, it's near the beginning, you can tweak things a bit, don't worry about the details at this point. Hmm, I've never done that. I have I have said, yeah, uh, take a few points out of here, put a few points back in there. In fact, that's something I will do even quite deep into... Um, a campaign. You, you, it, it depends on how important it's been before. Yeah, whether it's established if, as part of the background. If somebody has has already, if it's already been important to an adventure that somebody is very good at or very bad at something. Yeah. Then that's probably pretty much locked in. If it's just been sitting there on their character sheet and never been used, no, oh, that's fine. Yeah. Sometimes you won't discover quite deep in my um, birth of magic, dawn of magic camp campaign. I've got somebody who's. I got a player who wasn't familiar with GURPS and was writing effectively his first GURPS character, mm -hmm. and the, all the player characters are, are powerful magicians. But he's given his a low intelligence, and you know how important IQ is in GURPS. He doesn't want to violate. Are you limiting majory? I'm limiting majory to three, and yeah. they're already they're already starting out at majory three, and I can't. 
he wants to make his character as powerful as the others without increasing intelligence, which would violate his sense of what the character is like. Yeah, and he's well, getting a lot of comedy out of the fact that he's a bit, uh, his character's a bit slow on the uptake. Yeah, because with GURPS intelligence, you, you can have will and perception dropped. Yeah. But all those skills that are based off IQ are still going to be higher mm. for a higher IQ character. And he's going to be paying through the nose to increase his mag- magical skills yeah. um, step by step. Rather than just boom, it all goes into IQ. I I have no I have no solution about what to do with it. That was a failure in the other direction. That was a failure of me. Yeah, in in effect, what you want is IQ that only works for spells. Unfortunately, that's called majory. Yeah, and uh, I don't want to, I don't want to up majory any any further because I think I think it's gonna um it's the the possibility of that being there. And of increasing your majory once you've got it, even more, is going to destabilise the game. Something horrid. Mm. Actually, I think. Oh, make a note. Make a note. I think King Louis may try and do that. <laughs> That'd be one way to get him out of the game system if he exploded. <laughs> <laughs> so there are questions that you should have asked at the start. I think is what I'm t- saying by that. Um, yeah, part part of the trick is that. A lot of the time you don't know what those unknown questions unknowns. are that you should be asking. Yeah. You you don't realise that this is a thing that is up for grabs. Yeah. Or that this is a thing that's going to be important. There ought to be, I'm not sure if there is, a taxonomy of things you need to, to establish. There There isn't a, a general scheme of describing role-playing games and the things you need to get player buy-in to. I've seen some social checklists, you know, think things like, is the group going to act together or is it possible for a member to betray it? Things like that. Yeah, that makes uh, actually ma- makes sense. And it was um, when um, and when Mirror Mode was rejected by my by my player, she was specifically saying, no, let's not go, go there. Mm-hmm. We need at least this this group, um, which we, we, we need at least to be able to trust each other. Yeah. And so that's where that's where that, that's where we went, and I think it's a, it was a sensible de- decision. Um, the thing is, there are so many groups out there that believe things, that like things that are normal, that are weird to other groups. I read a story of recently of somebody, the GM was trying to run a, I think it was a, a Call of Cthulhu game with people who had only played Warhammer. And when the police, well, you're already used to the idea that you're going to die. And and when the police came up to investigate them, they killed the police and rifled their they rifled their pockets for change. <laughs> so, yeah. yes, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you read you read about groups of murder hobos, which I suppose is what uh, that that group was, and groups where anything is fair game, and they don't expect the universe to um, now. Uh, to be a, to punish them for doing bad or stupid or even unlucky things, I've been making it fairly clear to my NBA group that um, bad stuff is going to happen to you, and you're going to have to be awesome to get out of it. Hmm. And they have, I think, taken that on board. Danger leads to information. Information leads you to more danger. Yes, the more you know, the more you fear. The more you fear, the more you need to know. <laughs> All right. Other things that you need to can there be a generic checklist of things you should go through? I've seen a number of things along these lines, but they generally, as I was saying, social rather than yeah. um, game mechanical. Do, does each get? Does each genre? Does each game have a separate checklist that it needs? I mean, the, the things you want to know if you're playing in supers are they different from the things you want to know if you're playing in fantasy? Uh, from the things that you want to know if you're playing Call of Cthulhu. Or even something like how likely is player character death? And yeah. If it's actually, if you want it as a GM to be part of the story, part of you know, it's a thing that's going to happen sometimes. Mm. And that's quite different from well, okay, I don't remember the last time I, I had a PC actually yeah, I th- okay, in the World War II game a few years ago uh, a PC actually killed. Yeah. And and he's actually returned as an NPC spirit, as an ally of one of the other characters. That's what you are. <laughs> um, but it, 
just doesn't happen very often in the games I run. Well, it doesn't in mine, but I, I think there's an implicit social contract amongst the people that I game with that it can happen, that bad luck happens even to people as awesome as the player characters. And bad luck and occasionally stupidity have been the death of them, but I wouldn't know how to do it. And some players get much more upset by it than others. It's true, and but you can never quite say... I think this is like the, uh, the the shovel speech in Buffy. You have to be able to remember to say, if you hurt her, I'll beat you to death with a shovel. Um, a vague disclaimer is nobody's friend. It's, it's All right, it's a line from, from Buffy. So there are things that you really ought to say. Maybe I should write a list of them. The things I really ought to say to new players to my groups. I only get them very occasionally, but I ought to say, yes, you can die. My word is final. Um, even when I'm wrong, I'm right. But raise it with me afterwards. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Um, I do li listen to arguments, and I do occasionally backtrack in time to get put right what 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 five minutes ago went wrong. But no further than that. <laughs> do you have a thing that you ought to say to to the vegan young players at your de at your table? Come up with strange ideas. A strange idea that is interesting and amusing and that is, is engaged with the world is likely to work even if it's unlikely to work. Yeah. yeah. Show, show me something that, that says, I am thinking like a person in this world mm. who has come up with a desperate scheme. Yeah. And I will feel much more favourable to, towards it than this is a generic desperate scheme, or this is the sort of thing a player character does. Yeah. Do do something Do something that, that shows me that the world is real to you. Yeah. Um, and, and I will thank you for it a thousand times, and I will reminisce about it in extreme on podcasts. I have one player who has poor social skills, and who sometimes, tr and sometimes doesn't understand, and sometimes tries the patience of some of the faster players, but he does come up with um, good stuff occasionally. And sometimes he does things which which we which we say, oh, for God's sake, why are you doing that? And he, he gives a, and gives a perfectly adequate reason because I want to know this. But he won't he won't say in he assumes that we know why he is doing something mm -hmm. that is perfectly plain, and he hasn't yet worked out that he needs to explain at certain points why he's 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 doing things. And in request, of course, you you very often have the excuse because I may insert cult here. Yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, but but no, it's, it's it's slightly more more mundane than that. I um I I think explain what you're doing. Um, ask for information, but don't make the don't make the game drag. Oh, please don't make the game drag. Mm. That's getting around to me imposing things on them and not me asking them about things that they want in the game. Yeah, I, I've said before, I find it very difficult to get that sort of feedback from players. I think, as a player, I find it difficult to give it because it feels like special pleading. You know, yeah. I, I would like this thing that make, that would make my character look cool because my character is designed to engage with this sort of thing. Well, yes, up to a point. It, it, it's justified special pleading. I, I've had players come to me and say, look, I built this character to do this X, X, and Y, and you, said, you looked at it and you said, fine, and I've not get, got to do either X, Y, or Z, and I'm a bit peeved. Hmm. Uh, the campaign has gone entirely in different directions from what I assumed you meant at the beginning. And, I, and in that particular case that I'm thinking of, I should have looked at the character and thought, yes, He's thinking different things than that. Yeah, and sometimes this just happens. Uh, my Last Days of Atlantis campaign was originally going to be all about fighting stop-motion monsters. <laughs> and <en> <laughs> Ray Harryhausen, I should be living at this hour. Well, just so. Um, but uh, en ended up... Um, uh, one of the player characters, uh, as, as an avatar of Artemis, en ended up uh, garrotting Cthulhu. It was, it was very avatar-y moments. <laughs> In my in my Atlantis meets Cthulhu game, they 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 gave gave him a thermonuclear enema. 
Cthulhu with approval from God. Game. Sorry? Cthulhu wasn't even meant to be in the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. We would. What I think I'm trying to say here is I would like there to be a general understanding, and I wish my skills were better at this, about what you have to set out before you start. Both of us have got groups we've been with for a, for a while, mm. and which have a lot of back history and stories we could tell, and do you remember the time when? But also unspoken because of that thing we'll remember we don't do X. Yeah, and because, because George is in the room, we don't do Y. You remember the time we did Y with George in the room? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's the moments when you try something different that remind you that you can't always make assumptions, and that's what's happened to me. And it's, it's sort of good that Ken Hyde has put into NBA the uh, the procedures for here's how you set up your campaign because this is slightly different and there are several different ways you could do this um but and on the other hand there isn't a general means of do doing it and every different campaign needs a different list and i expect you're going to inundate us oh listeners with lots of web pages which we may end up discussing of lists of things you can ask people yeah, and the the only things that I would absolutely not um, put onto a list of that sort are what I think of as basic behaviour. Mm. Like, you know, make sure you bathe before the game. I feel that if I have to tell my players that, I'm playing with the wrong people. Yeah, probably. I would say, yeah. Uh, Ken Hyde has worked into the mechanics for, uh, for NBA. A lot of stuff, chastising people who turn up late for his games by giving them... <laughs> Fewer privileges and attacking later when there is there is a tie in in the initiative sequence, <laughs> and I think that's just just pushing things too far. All right, Kenneth. <laughs> I think on the note of chastising Ken, Ken Height, um, and assuming that he's listening to us, I think we move on to the next thing. to me, uh, listening to the Grognard files, uh, which were going on about how long they'd been in um, the role-playing hobby, that next uh, January the 1st, January the 1st, uh, 2016, will be the 40th anniversary of my very first game, which I've witted on about, a little D&D &D game run by Dave Langford. And I'm going up to Stabcon in Manchester a little later, and I really, really ought to, it occurs to me write a celebratory scenario. So I would like to to uh, pick your brains and ask for suggestions about what I could do, what fits with the theme of this being 40 years on from my first game. The first thing that occurs to me yeah. is a picaresque structure looking through some of the high points of games you've enjoyed. You know, major NPCs, bits of setting. Oh whatever. That's that's very self-indulgent. It's going to... Yes, but if they were fun then, they should probably still be fun. How do I... Excuse me. How do I tie this all together? What is the narrative device? Hunt the MacGuffin? Ugh. This assumes that I could find something that would link together the time that um, Graham's character had sex with the dragon and... Um, <laughs> And, and the time, as I mentioned earlier, that we, they gave uh, Cthulhu a thermonuclear enema. Uh, and that's just the GURPS games. Uh, the, 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 the dimension hopping would have to be absurdly great. And how do you get a bunch of characters together that, oh, yes, infinite worlds. Yeah, well, yes, of course you could do it with infinite worlds, maybe. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. It's it's sort of quantum leap meets infinite worlds. No, it's quantum leap meets infinite worlds meets sliders. Oh, dear, that's very very messy, Roger. What's your second thought? <laughs> the the other idea I had was um, what what is a 
common factor or common theme in the games that you have enjoyed and try to write something that plays to that? Um, me running them. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm good easy, players. Um, actually, what I was thinking here, here one of the uh, two things I was thinking. One was we could use the um, the doomed uh, the doomed heroes, the doomed old heroes thing that we were talking about about a while back. Mm-hmm. That we've got the forty. This is the fortieth anniversary of their great uh, deed, and they're having a reunion. And they discover that their great deed is about to be undone. They're very old, very old, and decrepit, and have to um, find a way to frustrate the evildoers who are undoing their great, their great deed. The one last hurrah. Yeah, the last hurrah of the slightly tarnished horde. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I, I think is that doable as a convention game. It ought to be. Um, what, what what you need is to, is to build up the um, backstory. Can you link this to something that players are likely to know about? Ah, that is the tricky part. The and the, the equivalent, if if the new films weren't being made, of setting a Star Wars game twenty years on. Yeah, quite. Hmm. What was big forty years ago? Mid seventies. Um... Well, Star Wars, unfortunately. Yeah, all right, point. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, before Star Wars, you had you had a lot of very um, grim and ant- antiseptic science fiction films, generally about the Earth, the Earth's ecology collapsing. Oh yeah, those. Uh, <laughs> I remember those being very cheerful. Um, I, they are all right. That's a note, a note to self. Go back and look at movies that were released in uh, nineteen seventy six and TV series that were playing. Wasn't was Doom Watch over by then? Don't know. Bum 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 bum. They had a great theme tune, and uh, maybe maybe there's something I I can. All right, maybe there's something I can hijack from the popular culture of then. Yeah, you're right. It needs a um. Ooh, it 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 needs a something you already know. In the in the, they need to come to the table knowing what what's going what's going on. Yeah, I think this does need sensitivity. Um. And one, one, one doesn't want to un- issues. one doesn't want to un- undermine people's enjoyment of the original if they do just enjoy the original. Um, I mean, you don't want to say, "Well, this is the real story of what was behind it all the time." This is fanfic. All ro- lots of role playing yeah. games are fa- are fanfic. Um, yeah, and what, what I'm saying, I, I at least would try not to devalue the original more than is oh, necessary. Right, I, it, it's one of the things I've noticed in remakes that the young people today. I don't quite get. I I saw the. Uh, I may have mentioned that I saw the Man from Uncle movie, and that was great fun. It was a f- nice sixties spy fi thing, and quite funny. It missed all the things that felt cool about the the original series. You know, the the the, the shadowy international organisation, Opal Channel D, please, and all that sort of stuff, hmm. because it was an origin story. And they something had, which the original never never needed to do because you could establish its premise in two lines of dialogue. Right. We're from UNCLE. We're an international agency that prevents evil. Would you mind if we rappel through your living room? (laughs) Yes, you can put something on first. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's one possibility. The other possibility that bubbled through my mind comes from the the song 40 Years On and the play, which is about uh, 40 years on when the father asunder parted are those who are singing to get today... When we look back and regretfully wonder what we were like in our work and our play, which is about school reunions. Hmm. And I was thinking if we could do a School of Magic reunion. Trouble is, it's going to be a... Is the the details with magic systems are always tricky, especially if you have to dump them on players in in a hurry. Also, depending on your setting, 40 years is quite possibly more than a professional lifetime particularly if you've got re- vaguely realistic fantasy. Yeah, or or if you've got Ars Magica, a good, de- a good deal less than a total ma- mm. uh, total lifetime. It's enough to become uh, successful and mature um, and willing to go back to the old school reunion and, and, and be nasty to the people who were nasty to you back then. But is a school reunion story doable? In, in what, what, what would... Well, a- again, it, it seems to me that that would be spending narrative capital that you haven't built up. 
Yeah, you're right. Because the players don't know these characters in advance. They, they can have their briefing notes. Yeah, that is the problem. You're right, that is, that is the problem. Uh, and the, unless you made dump it, would be huge. Unless you made it a sequel to something that people know about. Uh, Molesworth, the, 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 the declining years. Mm. Yeah, no, no, you, um, <laughs> Phil Masters might, might know, might know Molesworth, uh, well enough to, uh, alright, and John Dolman wouldn't, you'd probably be there, but I can't <laughs> assume that, um, uh, that people, uh, that people who turn up are going to know a specific property, and a property that I uh, Unless it's a hugely popular one. Yeah. Names? Like, well, uh, yeah. Yeah, all right. Preferably one that hasn't been already rebooted or remade or whatever. Okay. Which makes it a lot harder. And, oh, I've always been threatening to do Adam Adamant. And, it, I, and, mm. if, yeah, and if I could find the, oh, freshly frozen Adam Adamant, but Adam Adamant, the reboot, but nobody knows about. Oh, well, except it explains itself, doesn't it? It's an easy premise to grasp. I have here a frozen Edwardian adventurer. And along with him, his frozen butler from the 1960s and his frozen girlfriend from the 1960s. Yep. Yep. All right, that might work. <laughs> um, maybe. All right, that's a, it's, a, it's a thought. I, um, and what, one of the few times I've played superhero games, it involved Captain Democracy, who was you know, big on the fight against the Nazis and ran into a spot of trouble with the Ass American <laughs> Activities Committee and then got frozen. Yeah. So uh, when he when he was unfrozen in the nineties, the, the the humor in Captain Democracy is is basically obviously the standard fish out of water stuff, but also what do you mean you do this? That can't possibly work. I found some nice stuff about Cap uh, Captain America, who is of course a New Deal Democrat and slightly more left wing than people are currently allowed to be in the United States, and yeah, and it causes some problems for his his his, his PR lady. Mm -hmm. Um, I. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not quite sure about this. There's also, I should mention, a rather good uh, comic book series by a fellow who wrote Babylon 5, Michael Straczynski, Straczynski um, which he takes uh, 12 really, really obscure superheroes from the 1940s and freezes them uh, on about VE Day and brings them and brings them back into the modern world. And mm. uh, I, that was quite fun. But be this... As it may. All right, I've yeah, got... I, I think the cool thing is, if, if you want to say, remember when, you need yeah. players who can remember when. Uh, fortunately, Stabcon has uh, a fair number <laughs> of ageing gits. Um, but, uh, excuse me, I don't want to exclude the non-ageing gits and the slightly less ageing gits. So, 40 years on, so I need... Hmm. All right, I actually need to look at 1976. Oh, God, that's going to be traumatic. I'll have to remember <laughs> my youth. <laughs> All right, thank you. I have I have some ideas. No spoilers were necessarily revealed during the course of this speculation. I'd like to talk to you about yaks, or specifically yak shaving which, in a technical context, is a less useful activity done to procrastinate, consciously or unconsciously, about a larger but more useful task. Well, that's what that means. I, I, I saw this in the notes. I was wondering where... Go on, go on. The, um, the yak is in the garden, obviously. It's, it's a virtual yak. Uh, all right, all right. So, uh, what is this, why is this preying upon your mind? Well, at the moment, I'm trying to put ideas together for a game involving the Royal Navy in space, which we've talked about occasionally yes, before. Indeed. What this has actually meant for the last week or so is that I've, I've been uh, doing five-dimensional mathematics, trying to work out the geometry of hyperspace, which worlds are connected to which other worlds, uh -huh. and, possibly even harder, how to present this on a map in a way that's useful. Have you looked at the London Underground, Roger? Well, yes, it probably will be something like that, but automatically generating a London Underground map is actually quite hard work. Yeah, all right, all right, so basically... You want to, you're, 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 hmm. you're trying to make your life easier by not doing the work that is actually needed. Yeah, I mean, I, I could be doing um, social backgrounds and, and how it is that there is a Royal Navy in the distant future. 
Yeah, that's what I, I would go for. I'd also think about, well, Roger, given that you don't actually understand five dimensions, if you do understand five dimensional space... I'm, I'm, I'm using Voronoi partitioning. Oh, that's what <laughs> me puts in my place, isn't it? <laughs> it basically, you, you, you could do this in two dimensions. Oh. Um, you you plot your points on on a on a chart. You draw around them the area that's closest to each. So you know, the the area surrounding star A is closer to star A than to any other star. All right. Yes. Yes. I'm sure that's true. Aristotle would have agreed. Go on. You bisect each of those edges to to make a jump line between two stars, which uh -huh. is not going to connect every pair of stars, but just the ones that are close to each other. All right. And th those are your jump lines. And then, then you start taking some of them out, because otherwise it's too well-connected and not strategically challenging. But this, this works in arbitrary numbers of dimensions. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> did you manage to automate that process? Oh, yes. Oh, good. That's nice. <laughs> so but, basically, in three-dimensional space, you've got a group of stars displayed and lines drawn between them. Hmm. All right. So what is the... That, that done... When it's several hundred stars. All right. Let me, let me, let me... Let me there, uh, there are 300 odd stations on the London Underground. So we know it's doable. Yeah. Roger, but that, that's not laid out going, Are you going to develop 300 star systems? No, I'm going to look at the map once I've got the map in a useful way and say, OK, here are the choke points. Here are the interesting places. OK, I in, thought... in terms of, you know, if... You know, half of the Earth's commerce has to flow through this one choke point yeah. that's, not, that's not terribly near Earth, then it's going to be a contended point. All right, Roger, let me talk about... This starts out as, as your psychological difficulties with the tendency to go running off down rabbit holes. Yes. OK. <laughs> let me explain my rabbit holes in the thing that I haven't even got around to starting yet. I have on my wall in my flat, as you may have seen, a chart showing the hundred stars nearest to Earth, mm -hmm. um, which I want to use um, someday in a space game which will involve expansion out from Earth in, in the early interstellar period. Yep. Now, my choke point is the fact that I haven't got an automated means of generating these star systems. I'd like to use GURPS. There's a spreadsheet for that. Yeah. You, you type but the star it, type. Except, uh, there, uh, what there isn't is one where you're uh, I've not what I've not yet found. If you've got one, then let me know. Is one where you could input the star type from a real uh, and and let it run from a real um, solar system and let it run from that. Yes. Really? Because I've found one. Hand, handbook of the planets doesn't work that way. Uh, it did for me. Maybe it's a more recent version. All right, I'll have to have another look. All right, but the the the, the difficulty I'm getting is the fact that. Use, use then that system realistically. It, most of the star systems aren't going to be very interesting. Yes. And therefore... Even if you limit yourself to, to the sort of K and F type stars that are quite close to Sol, the chance of getting a habitable planet is quite low. Yeah, but on the other hand, the ones that you can reach with any sort of... Other than a, a, a Stargate set up by the ancients... Good grief, I'm talking about the, the level of realism in Faster Than Light Travel. This, is, <laughs> this shows heavy levels of dementia already. Um, but uh, the, the thing that is, that's stopping me doing it, apart from not allegedly having the, the right software, is, is the difficulty of making each system that I've got to go through, each waypoint has to be interesting, even if there's only balls of rock there. Mm. And you, ca you can't... You can't strategically safely jump every system, can you? Well, the, the way I'm, I'm expecting to cheat on that, um, the, way, the way I'm setting this up and the reason it's five-dimensional is that stars that are similar to each other in spectrum or luminosity or whatever are more likely to be joined at a greater distance than stars that are unlike each other. Oh, that's a lovely cheat. So, for example, you, you, you have a what one large tree of systems that's basically sort of G and F-type stars that you can yeah. get to fairly easily. Uh, and then you find a binary system with a dwarf, and you can hop onto the chain of dwarves and go somewhere completely unrelated. I think I see. I, hmm, 
I'm looking forward to the, to, to, to the hand wavium explanation that you're going to come up with for that. I, well, I think yes. it will be a, a piece of classic uh, gobbledygook. But the, the, the idea of this, I think, is that um, particularly if, if you've got a chain of sort of four or five systems mm. um, that aren't terribly interesting that you have to go through to get from A to B, yeah. um, even in a military context, your concern is, is there somebody waiting at the jump point to ambush me? Yeah. And if there isn't, then you can basically trog across the system because you can see anybody coming from a long way away. This is why, the, well, that's what why why you get um, Fort Nowhere established in the... Yeah, and that, that is exactly why I'm building a system with jump points, because I think it's militarily more interesting hmm. than, you know, you can just jump in anywhere and do what you like and jump out again before the, before the uh, Navy catches up with you. Yeah. All right, I, I, all right but you... This was not actually the topic of what we were going to say. Yep. What we're going to say is our inevitable tendency to find ourselves going off down point uh, down down um, alleyways that aren't really necessary. Well, are... trying to justify them is useful. My justification for this is that the, the astrography drives the economics, and the economics drives where the navy is sent and what it's sent to do. The economics drives everything. Economics. Yeah, so I've got to get the economics right. Well, economics drive. Yeah, but you, you don't do it that way. Not that way on. First of all, yeah, economics drives everything. It drives, it drives what your, uh, what your star-faring nations can afford to build. But you don't do it that way. You start with, what do you want the opening shot of the first episode to look like? <laughs> what size of power of spaceships and sort of things can it do? Do you want your cat player mm -hmm. characters to be on and that, then, that, that's sitting there in the background but yes yeah um from and what sort of adventures do, do they do you want adventures in which they have to escort convoys through hostile space do you want adventures in which they go out and meet new life and new civilizations and boldly uh boldly uh, uh plant the british flag where it has never been planted before a bit of both yeah so <laughs> at that, least potentially the, the, the there's a marvellous tool here, and it's called Let's Not Worry About That. Let's put it <laughs> into the background. On the other hand, I have players who will grind whatever I give them against against the oh, um, rough wheels of their intellects, and anything loose <laughs> is going to break off. Yeah. And to be honest, I think a game which can survive that is a better game than one in which the GM has to say, well, don't worry about that, it just works. Yeah, well, what I'm th saying is, uh, yeah, you have to worry about the mechanics. About well, about the, the 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 laws of the universe and how things work. But what you don't need to do is worry about every detail of what it implies for every location and every person. You just need a broad sweep. Economics is what frustrates me because I don't think I really understand it. Whereas I did my degree I don't, in it, and I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you sure you understand it? Are you sure any economists actually understand it? I understand it better than most of the people who are being paid to understand it, because once you get paid to understand it, you're, you're basically being paid to um, put over somebody else's viewpoint as the inevitable result of the science. This is why economics isn't really a science. It's, it's a very bribable science, is what you're saying. Well, the, the cost of setting up a controlled experiment... Is prohibitive, yeah, <laughs> quite. Um, you, you really need... Uh, interdimensional travel and parallel worlds to be able to do it. Expendable Com parallel worlds. Expend parallel worlds you do not care about. Let's see what if we, what happens if we do let Hitler win. <laughs> that sort of thing. All right. And, and the other thing that frustrates me is geography, which I suppose astrography is a sub is a subset. It's simpler, but yeah. Well, the, yeah, the, the problem with geography is that it informs the economics. I really envy Greg Stafford. And those who produce really weird, weird worlds, that they can ignore the common sense rules of geography and say it's like that because a dragon is sleeping there, or it's like mm. that because God did it. And produce. Yes, but if a dragon is sleeping there, what does that do to the rainfall patterns? Uh, it doesn't do a lot to the rainfall patterns, but it does mean you better not build that damn temple on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> or rather. Yes, Your Imperial Highness, please build that damn temple just right there. Over to the left, five inches, yes. <laughs> and th th there's another of these I did for, for, for a, a previous space game some yeah. years ago. Um, 
the the objective was traveller style free trader. Yeah. I ended up designing about six different models of space freighter in GURPS vehicles, so it's fairly, it's fairly easy to do quickly. Oh dear, um, Roger, what that says about your psychology. Go on. I was using software. Yes, but... So, you know, the, the freighter that can land anywhere, the freighter that can only land on runways, the freighter that docks to an orbital port. Yeah. Things like that. Uh, and it turned out that the uh, sort of ship I was planning to give to the PCs, which could land anywhere, was by far the least profit profitable of any of them. Yeah, well, of which was actually exactly what I'd hoped would happen, <laughs> because it means that they yeah the, they've the, got to go anywhere. Occasionally, they will have to go to a civilized port with an orbital station and things, but mostly just in order to keep paying the ship mortgage, they have to go to dodgy places and and um, keep an eye out for extra money they can pick up. No, no, that 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 is that is. And you felt contented once you'd done that, that um, that that everything made sense. Yeah. On the other hand, I felt contented if I had said to most of the players who were in that game, "You you are people on a ship that goes to backwater ports because that's the way you make money." They probably would have been quite happy with it. Hmm. Yeah, but it's a, to anybody in the know, traveller. Free Trader contains that. That's that's the result, and and it's the thing that I never quite find quite believable about uh, about travel. There's a border over there. You can skip over that border and sell your ship and live in luxury for the rest of your life as <laughs> as long as you don't get hunted down by the skip tracers. <laughs> Why are we still doing this? Oh, that's one of the things. Hey. Maybe I should backtrack and insert this into the earlier negotiations section that you definitely need to do. You need, in every campaign, a reason for the party to keep on doing this insane, dangerous and disagreeable stuff. Call of Cthulhu is a classic for that. You know, we, yeah. We've just lost half our number. Why are we doing this again? Because the end of the world will come closer if you do not, my child. <laughs> And and I will say, in praise to Kenneth Hyde, he has built that into NBA. Because they're going to hunt you down and kill you? He, well, that's sort of implied, but each each individual character has a personal reason, a personal desire and, and reason and reason why, to, why, why they keep on going back after the evil vampires who appear to control just about everything in the world and can kill you with an instant thought if they turn their full might upon you. Your only way to survive is to work way to the core of the mystery and slay that. Hmm. Yeah, I'd run away. To be perfectly frank, I'm I'm, hmm. I'm I'm a coward. What yaks have you shaved? Oh well, economical yaks and geographical yaks um, are my are my favourite. Worrying about um, worrying about that sort of thing. I do tend to delve into too much historical research when I do historical games. I do stuff that no such thing. Well, I suspect my players' eyes may glaze over occasionally when I drop things about the, the history of the Church of England, and I say. But then, I was watching Doctor Who uh, yesterday, and watched something set in a, a really, really stupid episode about highwaymen set in 1651. And I cringed when somebody used the word, well, somebody said, Milady, would you like a cocktail? Which I knew instantly. Mm. I, did, I was wrong. I didn't have. To, I did look it up later and discover that. Nineteen twenties. No, no. To, to start of the nineteenth century in America, nobody quite knows why. It's one of those American okay. worlds words. But if you take it literally, I think it's slightly rude. Mm. And that, but then I cringed when I heard, heard them using uh, the the Parry setting of Jerusalem in Doctor Who <laughs> forty five years before it was actually written, mm. and. And I am the sort of person who cares about this sort of thing, and will work on getting it right. My players, yeah, wh don't... Wh whereas wh wh when I cringe at, at uh, Doctor Who, it was because you you've got a Lancaster three years in Second World War, three years before Lancasters came into service. Yeah, yeah, that's a, look. Three years is better than forty-five. <laughs> yes, well, it, it's better than one hundred and fifty. Let's be perfectly <laughs> in the other direction. But then my players, the Knights of Malta came up in my magical game and my players reeled off all the stuff that they knew about the Hospitallers and the Knights of Malta and their occult reputation I thought, they're spending too much time around me, it's corrupting them. 
All right, so... Yeah, and th theological... Uh, theological... Developments. I, I know you've built some systems of gods. Yes, it's true. I worry about the implications. I'm worrying about the implications at the moment in my game that I've... There are living saints in the, in the game. Mm -hmm. The 36th Siddiquim, or however it's pronounced in, 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 in Yiddish, are the 36 living saints who are the reason that Jehovah does not destroy the world right now. Okay, I, th I think I know this is the 36 just men. Yes. They exist uh, and are there alongside the 36 revived names of magic which uh, involve, which include the mm -hmm. player characters. And so um, I'm, I, I, I've done this in a moment of weakness because of the symmetry of it. Yeah. And I put stuff into the background which is still there. And I'm sort of waiting for me to re regret it, re regret having done it when I work out what the implications are. <laughs> <laughs> and God has, uh, and, and as is normal for my games, God has put in a brief fleeting guest appearance. And <laughs> Were the players aware of this? Uh, yeah, well, they, 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 one of the NPC uh, magicians has gazed upon the face of God briefly and babbles a lot about it now. Mm. She's feeling a lot better now. She's calmer. Um, uh, uh, but, but I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure where this is going to end because it implies other things are also present. Yeah, mm. you see, that's what you run down a hole with your enthusiasms, uh, and, and you commit to something. Yeah, and it starts off being this is clearly relevant to what I'm doing. Yeah, and it ends up at the other end being it's sort of relevant. In the World War Two game, I, I was finding the timetables of trains across the USA because the party was crossing the USA by train. Roger! And it was faintly relevant oh, because, because it meant they had a break in Chicago and they could, they could stop in and pester somebody without having to worry about waiting three days for the next train. Uh -huh. But had I just said, yeah, you can stop here and there will be a train here when you get back, it would probably have worked about as well. It would have been identical. And, and fun, look, it makes. I, I'm reminded, Roger, of a saying of advertisers about institutional advertising. You know, things that go up says ICI is wonderful, um, Ford is great, um, IBM produces good machines, and that, that sort of thing. The, the sort of thing where nowadays they, they just show not, a lot of. A not, not a specific product, but just we are, we are good guys. We are good guys. And there was a saying in the, in the 1960s in uh, Madison Avenue that institutional advertising is like a man peeing himself in a blue serge suit. It makes him feel all warm and wonderful, but nobody else notices at all. Mm. So not yak shaving, but peeing yourself in a blue serge suit. <laughs> oh, dear me. To be fair, it didn't take me long to find the timetable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. All right, I'm guilty of this. I have worked real numerous real life people into my um, into my current historical game. Now, uh, nobody is going to object that I put, uh, put Nell Gwynn into a game set in the reign of Charles II. Hmm. Uh, the, the king is a patron of, of the player characters. She virtually has to be there. Yeah. Nobody is going to scream so too much that I put Afra Ben, who was the first. English female playwright and a spy for King Charles into there, because mm. that's cool. People will not even scream that the man who used to let in King Charles's loose women via the privy stair is is his is his spy master and in charge of the player characters in my game. <laughs> but the fact I've actually gone and looked up the history of an obscure Irish earl just so that um, uh, he can be the father of um, of one of the player characters' NPC-dependent ally wife, um, <laughs> is, is, is perhaps taking things a little too far. Because he really, nobody is ever going to notice whether that particular Irish Earl was there or not. Yes, but you notice. Yeah, and it makes me feel... It makes me feel good that, 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 that only one of the names in that family has been made up. I mean, it's. I th I think a lot of it is is the pride in craftsmanship sort of thing. Mm. Even if nobody else ever sees that the um, that particular solder joint, I know that it's the best possible solder joint I could do. And if I do get around to doing my hundreds nearest stars thing, 
there will be stars even on that list of a hundred which they will never go to and they will never see. Mm -hmm. But I'll know they're there and I'll know the details are worked out if they choose to say, let's take a left serious. Mm -hmm. And the maths can get interesting there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> left hand down a bit. Okay. All right. Well, I think the answer to if you find yourself in a in a in a bad dose of yak shaving and well, first of all, how do you recognise it? It's just a, just stop and think every so often. What actual relevance does this have to the game? Well, actually, if it's a thing that you are stopping you even starting, then it's yak shaving. Yeah. But how much of this can I get away with hand waving? Is another good question. And another good question, as I think we've demonstrated uh, today, is ask a friend about it. Hmm. And, and if they bug out their eyes and look horrified, yeah, then possibly you're going too far. <laughs> I have I, I have found that having having two gaming groups which I can talk to mm. about 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 what I'm going to do with the other does make an enormous difference. I can say. What do I do with with my other group on a on a, on a Wednesday night on a Monday night and uh, uh, and they they will norm since they don't actually interact at all it's it, it's quite wonderful <laughs> they'll probably meet up at my funeral oh so that's what he was doing <laughs> <laughs> if there's any of them left I think that's a, a suitable miserable note to come to an end on. send us your ideas for um, 40 year on re uh, reunions uh, lists of futile things uh, that you do and the guest list for your funeral to us either by writing at the uh, website or via podcast at tekeli.ly and as the shades of November draw upon us and leaves fall we wish you a very goodbye until next month <laughs>